Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that's how you get in touch with us. It is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, is how you get in touch with us. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates, oh, that's where we can be found. Guys, make sure you really gear up for this week. Here we go. We got the playoff push in the NFL. College basketball's getting good, right? We're watching teams storm the court already. We have a little college football talk that I want to get into, especially with uh, the idea that, look, I think that someone that is undeserving is going to squeak in. Plus, all of the coaching changes, Major League Baseball is up and going crazy, so we have a lot to get into today. And then, of course, we have the NFL week, which we'll get into big time absolutely for the show. All right, so... Before we get into the NFL, which we will dive into every single game, give you stats, numbers, everything that you need about the NFL, we will get into plenty of NFL action. But the first thing I want to do is I want to just touch on the college football landscape right now, right? Lincoln Riley is gone. Uh, He takes the USC job. He bolts because he's afraid of the SEC. Well, that's a lot of the narrative. Say what you want. That's a lot of the narrative. You know, these coaches, they they do it for the money. I mean, that that's just reality. Look, they're leaving for the money. Don't ever believe it was a better opportunity. Don't ever believe the conversation of, well, you know what? Uh, you know, I like my chances there. I did this. Oh, it's a new experience. It's a new challenge. No, no, no. They did it for the money. Now, Lincoln Riley may have left because it was easier to leave because now he's going into the SEC and he understands what he's going to be up against. Maybe, maybe, right? Uh, maybe he's looking at it and he's saying, you know what, I, I could go lock down the entire West. I, I could go over to the Pac-12, consistently just be that guy, consistently have that team, build that program back up. USC is the best job in the country outside of uh, you know the SEC for sure, and maybe even inside the SEC. They have resources like no other. He doesn't have to leave his couch to go recruit. I mean, you know, everywhere he recruits is going to be in L.A. and California by far. He's going to dominate a conference that outside of Oregon can't financially even sniff what USC is doing. I mean, the, the move made a lot of sense, and I hate to say this about Oklahoma, but it did. And Riley is 55-10 and 10 in five seasons in Oklahoma, but I, I don't know if people in Oklahoma are going to look back at this and go, all right, you know what, he's that consistent dominating winner, because he wasn't. You know, he didn't win bowl games uh, on a consistent basis, didn't win national championships on a consistent basis, but the guy is a spectacular coach. 
I think he turns USC around in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. What You know what? What you're going to have to gear up for, though, USC, you're going to have to deal up with terrible defenses, amazing offenses, some Heismans. I mean, this is what we're going to be doing. I think this is the best hire in college football since Ohio State got Urban Meyer. I, I think it's that impactful and that huge. And then the ripple effects came. Right. And the, the questions of who's going to come over to Oklahoma, who is it going to be? Was it going to be Stoops? Is it going to be maybe Shiano, maybe, uh, you know, uh, Heupel, which I didn't think was going to work out. Lane Kiffin's name is being thrown about. And then you have the LSU job, which has opened up as well. Right. And the LSU job is sitting there wide open. And Brian Kelly jumps from Notre Dame to LSU. And again, Notre Dame fans just have the reality that Oklahoma fans are going to have. You're in a conference that, sure, you know what? In Oklahoma, you could win. In Notre Dame, you can win, but it's not that glorious job. Look, Brian Kelly has crafted the Notre Dame job as a stepping stone school. Now, I don't, I don't see that, okay? But you have much tighter restrictions on recruiting there, uh, who you could go get. It, it's a private Catholic school. I mean, it just is. It doesn't have a conference, which I still believe hurts Notre Dame. The Notre Dame name, because of their history, can hold some kind of water, but eventually that's going to kind of go by the wayside. And I think Brian Kelly knew that. So he goes to LSU. That caused ripple effects. Look, LSU is in a dominating position. Now you do have to take on Saban. You got to you gotta go to that conference to take on Saban. You might have to take on Jimbo. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Jimbo's going to bolt either. So that's something to look at. So, you know, I, I mean, look, we have a lot going on there. You know, David Shaw, his name has been thrown around. Uh, David Arnado from Baylor, you know, his name's been thrown around. Cliff Kingsbury's name's been thrown around, which I think is a, just a clear his agent throwing his name around. I don't believe any of that. But we have some shakeup in college football and some massive shakeup at that. I mean, this is a spot where in college football you have to start looking at this thing and you have to start saying, you know, th- this is this is pretty rough. This is pretty rough for the college football landscape. It doesn't bode well for college football when we started combining conferences and people said, you know what's going to happen? There's going to be, you know, only a few dominant teams for years and nobody else is going to be com- competing. Then it doesn't bode well that a UCF goes undefeated and they have to raise their own championship banner because they can't even sniff a title game. It doesn't go well and bode well for college football that a team like Cincinnati goes undefeated. They take on some big teams. They have some big wins. They beat Notre Dame you know, there, okay? And there's questions if they're going to make it if they go undefeated. It doesn't bode well that there's a possibility that you could have a two or even a three-loss SEC team go in over one-loss or no-loss teams in the country. It doesn't bode well for college football what's going on. And it just doesn't. The separation of top teams to bottom teams is extraordinarily large. And I've said this before the year began, especially in a betting forum. I said, guys, you know, they want you to believe that anyone has a chance. And listen, the NCAA does the same thing. Don't for one second believe that the NCAA tournament allows anybody to win. That's a farce. It's a complete farce. It is a made-up story that is being crafted delicately by the people that are on top, that are people that are making money. It's a farce. How many times has a 9 seed won the tournament? How many times has a 10 seed won the tournament? 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16? None! 
So don't tell me, you know, well, you know what? You never know. No, I know. I'm pretty well aware. You go look at the tournament. How many years is there, you know, a couple of number ones in the final four? I mean, it just happens. And now college football is getting into the same vein. Before the year I came out and I said, you know, college football is in a position now where you have less than 10 teams that can win a national championship. Less than 10 teams in the country have a chance at a legitimate national championship. And look, that's true. I mean, for the Pac-12, as good as a year as Utah's going to have, or Washington potentially has, or, you know, Washington State or the Arizonas. No, no, no. You got USC and you got Oregon, and that's it, right? Even Stanford. You want to tell me, oh, well, Stanford, yeah, Stanford when they had Harbaugh and, and Andrew Luck, no longer. So you got two teams in the Pac-12. Outside of the Big Five, we're not even talking about. I know Cincinnati, I'm not even talking about. So you got two teams there. Well, the Big 12 just completely collapsed on top of itself, right? Oklahoma is gone. Texas is gone. So you, you you can't count those teams. So maybe Oklahoma State, maybe. I mean, this is another year where Oklahoma State, we've seen this happen two or three times to Oklahoma State in the last uh, what decade or so. Okie State's not a real threat for a national championship. Come on. They're not a real threat. There's TCU or Baylor. No. So you got nobody from the Big 12. You got two teams. We're still going with two teams, right? Oregon, maybe. Maybe Oregon. I don't even know. And USC, maybe. But they have the, the wherewithal to do it. So you got two. And you go to the, you know, the, the, the Big Ten. All right, the Big Ten, you got Ohio State, you got Michigan. Does anybody really believe that in Iowa or a Wisconsin, who I normally like, or Nebraska, they're ready to compete? Penn State? No. So you got four teams. Go to the ACC? Well, Florida State's not what they once were. So you get rid of that. You got Wake, UNC, Duke. And, and, and by the way, David Cutcliffe leaving Duke. Anybody believe that any of those teams have a chance? No. So sometimes you got Clemson. So sometimes we got five. Five teams outside the SEC have a chance to win a championship. And if you want to argue, you want to get argumentative with me, and you want to really push and shove and tell me that Penn State can make it, all right, maybe you got a Penn State out there. Well, you know what? If they have a really good year in Okie State or a Bell. Okay, let's say the most. Let's say the most is six or seven. Let's say seven. I'll give you seven. Seven teams outside the SEC can potentially win a national championship. Then you got Alabama and you got Georgia, okay? So that's nine. Now who do you have? Do you include an Oklahoma there? Do you include a Texas who's coming over? Do you, do you really believe in a Jimbo and Texas A&M? Could potentially put things together. Is there a year where an Ole Miss, a Mississippi State, an Auburn, even a Florida could put things together? Florida again with a brand new coach. Yeah, maybe down the line. Maybe down the line. But none of them, none of them are in any way, shape, or form ready to compete with the nine teams that I gave you out there. So where it stands now, and I'm being lenient putting Oregon in there. And where it stands now, I'm putting, being very lenient, putting USC, who hasn't showed us anything, but I believe, you know what, Lincoln Riley can do some stuff. Where we stand now, there's nine teams in college football that could win a national championship year after year. And it's been like this for a while. Again, you want to be argumentative and tell me, you know, you could push to 10, maybe 11. It's still less than a dozen teams and win a national championship. That's bad for the sport. And now we get into this weekend where you have, you know, Utah's taking on Oregon. Well, that's a good game. Utah is a top 10 team. Utah's been playing like a top 10 team. Utah comes in as a three-point favorite. I think that this is a good line for Utah. You're looking at an Oregon team that is just not what they once were, but they still have the name recognition, so that line's a little bit off. 
you look at Oklahoma State has to go take care of business, and you look at Oklahoma State, six-and-a-half-point favorite they opened up at. It's down to four-and-a-half at FanDuel. It's down to you know five in some places like Circa because people are banking on Baylor. Oklahoma State has everything in front of them. I don't know if they can get it done. I don't I don't blame that line at all. Cincinnati, 10, 10 and a half point favorites over Houston. They got to get this done. And even if they get it done, they may not be invited. They might not. Iowa, Michigan, uh, this line went from 10 and a half to 11. I, I think Iowa's a dangerous team. I like Michigan. They're coming off on a massive, massive emotional win. Massive for those seniors. Massive for Harbaugh. Massive. Can they get back up and beat a good Iowa team? I mean, these are are the things that we're looking at here. And then, of course, you have Georgia-Alabama, which I want to spend a couple of minutes on. Georgia opened up at about four and a half or a five-point favorite. It's up to six, six and a half. Uh, Georgia-Alabama, the game itself shouldn't be close. The game itself, on paper, with all said and done, Georgia should romp Alabama. Alabama couldn't get it done against Auburn. Alabama struggled against Florida. Not a good Florida team, oh, by the way. Alabama struggled uh, against LSU. Alabama struggled all year long. This does not look like a top 10 team. They haven't. And Alabama fans, you can say, well, we only got one loss and we're right there. I get it. But the, the eye test says you're not a top 10 team. Georgia, all year long, has been beating the bricks off of teams. They have been annihilating team after team after team after team. Alabama should not be in the same class here. This line is very, very thin. This line, if you took the names off of the jerseys and you just gave me the statistics and the eye test of who Georgia has been all year, and who Alabama has been all year. Guys, this isn't close. Georgia, this defense should suffocate Alabama. Alabama couldn't move the ball against Auburn until the uh, the end. Alabama couldn't beat Auburn until their quarterback was playing on one leg, Auburn's quarterback. Okay? And forget about this Bryce Young for Heisman garbage. Can we stop that? Can we stop that? Yeah, the guy had one good drive at the end of the game. No, no, no. So Georgia should beat the bricks off Alabama. The line's only six and a half. But wait a minute, before you guys uh, turn off the podcast here and go run to the sports book, let's talk about why that line is six and a half. Well, there's a lot of uh, hmm head-scratching moments here, right? There's a lot of nefarious talk going on with this line. Now, I don't believe that games are thrown. No, 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 I don't believe that. I don't believe in rigged games. No, 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 I don't believe that umpires and referees have money. I, I don't believe any of that. I'm not that tinfoil hat-wearing guy. I... I wear a tinfoil hat when it comes to, like, UFOs and stuff. But but I'm not a tinfoil-wearing hat guy here. But I will say this. Georgia knows that win or lose, they're going to the championship. Win or lose, they have punched their invite. They're ready to go. It doesn't matter. Win or lose, Georgia is in a spot where eh, we feel perfectly fine. We're going to be fine. That motivation... Whether they, you know, are outwardly saying it or not, it's there, or lack thereof, motivation, I should say. It is there. That feeling of, well, we're already in. The idea of them pulling off the dogs or not coming in 100% for this game is almost unconscionable. It's almost 
inexplainable. There's no way that could happen. It's Georgia-Alabama. They are rivals. They're SEC. Yes, 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 yes. But Georgia still has that thing, that in the back of their mind, that safety net, right? Everybody's trying to go to college. You have that safety school. And while you didn't want to use that safety school, you always knew it was there. You weren't living on the streets. You weren't not going to college. Georgia, you know, they'll come in at 98%, but I wouldn't blame them if they're not 100 because they already know they're in the college football playoff. So you have that. Then you get into the nefarious talk. And the nefarious talk is that if Alabama wins this game, the SEC gets a giant windfall of money. Because if Alabama wins this game, two SEC teams are going to the college football playoff. If Alabama wins this game, there's a chance that two SEC teams will be in the championship. If Alabama wins this game, there's a chance we get Georgia-Alabama too. And that alone looks at TV ratings, cha-ching. That alone looks at ticket sales going up, cha-ching. That alone boosts the SEC ratings, cha-ching. That alone boosts everything, the profile of SEC, the money that SEC comes in, the recruiting that can be done in the SEC. That alone elevates everything. Now, I'm somebody that thinks it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster because we've watched it happen before where a team loses their championship game and they even get to play for a championship, let alone doing it twice. It happened to Alabama once. LSU went into their building, beat them. Alabama didn't play for their SEC championship game, yet won the national title that year. Uh, LSU finished that year 1-1 one and one against Alabama, didn't have a championship. It's garbage. It's pure garbage. Alabama should be eliminated already. But they're not. They're in there. They're there. And if they win this game, they're in. And I can't even argue that if they win the SEC, they're in. But how can I argue that Georgia would be out? So you start to get into a position where you shut up people that talk about SEC bias because you almost have to put both in if they win. Now, I keep hearing the conversation, well, what if they lose a close game? No, no, no. They, this should be an elimination game for Alabama. I don't know if it will be because, like I said, Oklahoma State could not get knocked off. You know, there is a position that, that I think we are all in agreement that if Michigan takes care of business, they are in. If all uh, if Georgia takes care of business or not, so Georgia's in, win or lose. Georgia is in. Michigan is in with a win. I think Cincinnati is in with a win. So you're talking about that last team. And that last team, guys, is not going to be Notre Dame. One of the criteria that you sit back and you have a conversation with, and I will read the actual criteria to you, the criteria and the principles of the committee that's selecting the teams using the process that distinguishes among otherwise comparable teams. Conference championship one. All right. Okay. Strike the schedule. Got it. Head-to-head competition. Sure. Comparative outcome of common opponents. Got it. Other relative factors, such as unavailability of key players and coaches. Notre Dame is not going to this championship. So to me, this is Oki State. Or Alabama. And that is where the kind of the, the, the crux of this comes in. Because Alabama could lose this game. And could lose this game not close. They still might take Bama. They still might take Bama. I would prepare yourselves, everybody out there, win or lose, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan uh, are going to, to the championship. I would prepare myself. 
Maybe you get a Cincinnati in it. That's what I would prepare myself. By the way, I have seen an opening line of what uh, Georgia against Cincinnati in round one would be. And Michigan-Alabama, Alabama would be favored by about two and a half, three points is where I've seen it. But I have looked at a line, and I've seen uh, that the line early on is 17 and a half Georgia over Cincinnati. And guys, I'd be all over Georgia <laughs> minus the 17 and a half. You can't set that line high enough. I love the idea that Cincinnati's getting there. I love the idea that Cincinnati's involved. But the reality is they're going to get squashed by Georgia because I think everybody's going to get squashed by Georgia this year. But that's into the future. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 this is... Uh, this is stuff that you start to look at. Those forward lines is what we start to look at. All right, guys, let's take a quick time out. Come on back. All the NFL on the table right after this, right here on Wagering Week. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? I told you we're going to touch on a little bit of baseball. All of the big free agent moves this week has brought some betting props out there. And you look at the numbers, what has moved the needle? Well, at BetMGM, the Mets dropped from 20-1 to to win the World Series down to 11-1 to for the World Series futures. That is the second most. The Tigers are actually the biggest movers, and this was before the Javi Baez deal. So I think people are expecting some big things from the Tigers this uh, this year, and the New York Mets obviously with a big-time move with Max Scherzer. That is what are the odds. Yeah, guys, I mean, big money being thrown around. The Texas Rangers, um, you, you know, threw around a, a, more than a billion dollars, about a half a billion dollars there, right? About a half a billion dollars. And it really didn't move the needle that much. I mean, that's that's pretty rough. Uh, you know, the idea of giving uh, Marcus Simeon, the, now the second baseman, that much money, that many years. Corey Seager, that much money, that many years. Yeah, it moved the needle a little bit. But as uh, one of my friends said, I, I know my, my buddy Tim out there in Vegas said, you know, can they pitch? Uh, getting John Gray's nice, but, but can they pitch? I think the Mets uh, with the Scherzer move is massive, but... Forty-plus million dollars for a 38-year-old is head-scratching at best. Everyone's ripping on the New York Yankees for just kind of sitting on their hands here. I think everyone's getting a little overpaid. I actually think that the Baez deal was respectable considering how much Seager got and how much uh, Serge's got. And you go back just a couple of years ago, I was at the baseball winter meetings during the Machado and Harper stuff, and people go, oh, my God, Harper got 13 years. That's a bargain now. That's like a bargain contract now. You can't even believe it, but it really seems like that's the way it is right now. Uh, Absolute insanity in Major League Baseball. All right, let's move over to a little NFL this week. And um, look, you you go and you look at this week, some people have already cashed money. The Bengals win total of six and a half, already cashed that ticket. How about the Cardinals? Over eight and a half, already cashed that ticket. One thing to be careful of, and I throw this out there, is Look for those unders on Monday nights. Monday night unders have now cashed in in five of the last six Monday nights. Uh, this week, we'll talk about it. The number is set at 44, so that's something to pay attention to. All right, let's get into all of the games. We'll start off with that Thursday night game. And that Thursday night game, you start off right away with a game that is really a, a tough game. It's a tough game to gauge. 
Mike McCarthy won't be on the sideline because of COVID for Dallas. And uh, over on New Orleans, Kamara might come back. Ingram might be playing. Uh, Cooper and Lamb should be back. So there's a lot of things going on. But the biggest change is the change of quarterback for the Saints. It looks like Hill is going to be the guy instead of Simeon, who was completing 57% of his passes and just looked lost out there. Both teams are coming off of Thanksgiving losses. The loss by the you know Cowboys is an ugly loss. Because it was the most watched game since 1990 in the NFL. So everybody watched Dallas. And that Dallas defense just get picked apart by Vegas, who was was struggling. I mean, even Darren Waller was out of that game. A lot of penalties, ugly loss. And then at night, when everybody was kind of having their turkey hangover, what do you call it, tryptophan, right? That tryptophan hangover and everyone's sleeping. New Orleans got absolutely housed. But they got housed by a good Buffalo team. So Dallas opened up as a five and a half point favorite. It's down to four. We know Sean Payton. He's about 20 games over 500 as an underdog, and he's at home. This is a spot where you look at it and you go, yeah, you know what? Uh, New Orleans is probably in a good spot, but it's hard to go against Dallas because we've seen the best of Dallas, right? We have watched how Dallas, how good Dallas can be when Dallas is good. All right, let's move on to Sunday. A lot of double-digit favorites this week, and a lot of double-digit favorites where late in the season you start to look at it and you go, look, if you just take anti, you know, you go, you just take the points. Give me the double digits in games. You would make money year after year after year, but it's real hard late in the season. You start to see the separation between some of these teams. Tampa Bay is an 11-point favorite over Atlanta. Tampa Bay is only 5-6 and six against the spread because their lines are usually inflated. And I think it's an inflated line here. But they are 4-1 and one against the spread when the line is double digits or more. So they're beating teams and they're beating them bad when they're supposed to beat them bad. But guys, this is a divisional matchup on the road laying double digits. There is no way that you could convince me that Tampa Bay is the play here. Now, I know that the Falcons are 31st in the league in pass defense. You could throw on them all day. Tom Brady should have an absolute field day here today. Or this week, I'm sorry. And I have to tell you, look, when you look at a guy like Brady, he's gunning for an MVP. This is a get-right game. It's indoors. It's against a team he knows. It's a position that he's very familiar with. I am in no way... No way telling you that I I feel good about going out there and I feel really okay about going out there and, you know, giving points and uh, absolutely not. But I don't feel good about Atlanta either. I mean, Atlanta is one of those teams here where I don't want to say if there's a spot to lay double digits, it's this. But I'm definitely not sitting back and going, "I, I, I, I can go out there and feel any confidence with Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons right now can't defend anyone. The Atlanta Falcons right now can't pass on this team, even though everybody seemingly can. Atlanta's one-dimensional. They got really one guy. I don't believe in, in Russell Gage is going to be a, a, making me nervous. And you got Patterson, who runs the ball effectively, not against this defense. This defense even held Jonathan Taylor down for most of the game. Um, this is a tough game. I, I think you have to lean Tampa, but again, I cannot lay double digits. Not in this spot, not on the road, no way, no how. How about Arizona laying seven and a half against the Bears? Cardinals are coming off of a bye week. They should have Murray in there. They should have Hopkins in there. Everyone's waiting for them to kind of get healthy again, but Murray and Hopkins haven't played in more than a month. I don't know if you could count them just jumping onto the field and all of a sudden just looking great again, and that's kind of the problem here. 
Justin Fields still dealing with some injuries, so it could be Andy Dalton. Well, they're talking about maybe it will be Justin Fields. A lot of problems going on. Khalil Mack is out for the season. We know that. Hakeem Hicks is still banged up. Eddie Jackson is still banged up for the Bears. Uh, Allen Robinson is still banged up for the Bears. Arizona has their share of injuries. You know, I, I look at this line and I go, I know it's a road game, and I know all these guys are coming back for Arizona, but I still think that the Bears are dangerous, even with all of these ridiculous injuries. But you can't take the Bears, not with their defense missing potentially three starters, not with their de- – and, and, oh, by the way, Roquan Smith was banged up, and if Roquan Smith doesn't go, the Bears are just toast. The Bears won their game. They get extra rest. I get that. But come on, guys. You know, this is just a bad spot for the Bears. Nagy's job is hanging on by a thread. I don't know if I can lay the seven and a half because I don't think that Murray and Hopkins just come back and just look spectacular again. But the Bears are a mess defensively. All right, Chargers, Bengals, one of the best games of the day. Bengals opened up as a three-point favorite. It's down to about two and a half, a little money coming in on the Chargers. Look, I'm going to say it every week because nobody continues to listen to me. I'm going to say it every single week. The Chargers' run defense is pathetic. It's pathetic, and now they got to go face Joe Mixon, who looked really good last week. They are letting up 145 rushing yards per game. No other team is even letting up 10, 10 yards apart, 136. I mean, it, it's just not, it's not even close, guys. The Chargers are awful defensively. Not bad, awful defensively. Now, they started the year 4-1, and one, but, you know, they're 2-4 and four cents. So they're not playing really well, and they really had a lot of holes last week that can be exploited here by Cincinnati. The thing that I worry about here is that Cincinnati's coming off a massive emotional win. Cincinnati doesn't beat Pittsburgh often, and they don't sweep Pittsburgh ever, right? Not since, like, the, uh, I think it was 2006 at the last time they swept them. Joe Burrow's riding on high, but this has become Joe Mixon's offense. It really has. That's a good thing when you're going up against the Chargers' run defense. I do worry about the Cincinnati defense, though. Everyone's talking about how good they are in the Cincinnati defense and who they can be and what they can be. Guys, this Cincinnati defense, to me, is a little overrated. It's a little overrated in Justin Herbert, somebody that could absolutely dominate here. Justin Herbert can go through the air. They, he can have time if he's able to find his receivers. This could be a long day for Cincinnati, but I think that Cincinnati should be the home favorite. It could be nasty weather as well, which will help the running game, which, of course, would just help Cincinnati. All right, Minnesota-Detroit, the line opened up at 6.5. It's up to 7.5, so cross that no, big number. And, you know, Minnesota is has a rising line, again, rising line on the road against a divisional opponent. And it's a rising line on the road against a divisional opponent without their best player. Dalvin Cook is going to miss this game. That's a problem. Now, it's the two worst run defenses in the NFL. Minnesota can't stop anyone. You know, Swift. Oh, if he could start up, well, that's pretty good. But he's banged up. Dalvin Cook should have a field day. Well, Dalvin Cook's not playing, so it's Madison having a field day. Maybe. Lions lost 19-17 in the first meeting this year, and I think the Lions are playing with a little bit more confidence. Minnesota's a good team. Minnesota might just decide, you know what, we're going to let Kirk Cousins, who's played a fantastic season, just throw it, and we're not going to worry about the running game. Or do you have confidence in Madison? You know, 
This is a game where I expect Minnesota to win, and they almost have to win to keep their playoff hopes alive. But Detroit is a fighting team. They've been playing well. They believe in their coach. They've been really, really impressive in spurts at times. They're getting a little bit healthy. If Swift and Hawkinson play in this game, I'm all over the points here. At home, catching points, divisional opponent without their best player. And by the way, Minnesota would just almost have to run the ball because how bad the Detroit Lions defense is. But I don't know if Madison's a guy that I'm terrified of. I think he could fill in and be okay, but I'm not worried about him. Miami Dolphins, this line went up from minus two and a half to minus four and a half or even five. It looks like Mike Glennon is going to get the start for the Giants. Daniel Jones was banged up. And just when I said last week, I think that the New York Giants are getting healthy and Galladay was getting healthy and Tony was getting healthy and, uh, you know, Saquon Barkley was getting healthy. All of a sudden, Mike Lennon is now the starter, and things are just backsliding. Both offenses average less than 20 points a game, but Miami's offense, yeah, they are pretty dominating. They have been fantastic for about a month now. They're letting out less than 14 points a game over the last month. Miami's run defense, by the way, allows just 105 rushing yards per game, and Saquon Barkley is just not that guy. Can we just say it? Look, I don't want to say I told you so when I said, you know what, the Giants should take Quentin Nelson and everybody jumped on me. But I told you so. Look, Saquon Barkley is banged up. He's injured. He's not playing well. He doesn't have that spark. He doesn't have that thing. If you're in fantasy, Saquon Barkley is a flex guy right now. So I can't expect them under Mike Lennon to all of a sudden lean on Saquon Barkley. I don't think that's reality. Tony is still banged up. Galladay can't catch a cold. Two weeks ago, one catch for 12 yards. I mean, that, that's your high-priced uh, you know, receiver there? Come on. I mean, the New York Giants are having all kinds of problems. Defensively, this team is having all kinds of problems as well. Now, you can sit back and you can kind of, you know, poke fun at what Miami is doing uh, and and Tua, he's been kind of a laughing stock. Okay, well, you say whatever you want. Look, the New York Giants okay, are giving up big plays. The New York Giants are a team that are giving up big downfield plays week after week. And Jalen Waddell All of a sudden, he's on a pace to get 6.4 passes per game, finish their season with 109 receptions. That's a new rookie record. That's breaking Anquan Bolden's mark. Jalen Waddell, he hit a top speed of 22 miles per hour. That's tied for the fifth fastest in the NFL this year. And since Tua's return from injured reserve, Waddell is the third most targeted receiver. He leads the league in receptions with 50 So you're talking about Cooper Cup kind of area, right? 528 yards. Cooper Cup's got 618. Guys, this offense has a little spark. And Andy adding Gazeki, two is starting to look confident. I think that this is Miami or nothing, even with the, the rising line. Philadelphia and the Jets, we know what's going to happen. Look, the the Jets are very simply going to have to play big-time defense. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is at this point. You know, Wilson's a disaster. Uh, You know, Johnson's running it in for whatever reason. Robert Sala doesn't look good out there. But Philadelphia to cover a seven-point line is, you know, I don't believe in them either. Jalen Hurts is still running the ball well, but he can't throw the ball. The Jets' defense is allowed 260 yards per game. I get it. And you start to look at what their offense can do. Well, the Jets' offense can't do much, but if you know the run is coming, and they do, and you have a good front four, earlier in the year, uh, you talked about Sean McVay talking about the front four of the New York Jets. They are a tough team. I don't think that this is an easy cakewalk game for Philadelphia. Now, I know they need the game for the playoffs. I get that. And I know that the Jets are a walkover. They're a mess, and ha, 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 it's the Jets. I understand all that. I just don't think that the matchup favors Philly in this spot enough to lay a touchdown or so. All right, let's talk about the last early window game, Colts-Texans. 
This line went from 8.5 to 11. People are all over the Colts here. The Texans defense allowed 136 points per game or yards per game here uh, on the ground. Jonathan Taylor should feast all day. He should feast all day. But again, we're in another spot here. And now this is the third time I'm talking about inflated lines, big lines on the road, big lines on the road in division. I just can't like that formula. I think the Colts win. And they probably win convincingly. But Houston's look like a different team with Tyrod Taylor. And Houston's defenses look like a different team recently as well. The culture team that are coming off of a bad loss. A bad loss where people question Frank Reich. Now, I think he was right in that game to go to the pass and not the run. But this is a game where they should go back to the run. What often happens when you go back to the run is you beat up on teams. But you, you sometimes don't win as big as you should. Look, this line opened up at where I think it should be, eight, eight and a half. This line has now gone over the center. It's gone over 10 points. It's into the 11-point range in some spots. Now, I think it comes back down, and I think it settles about 10 points. I just can't do it. You've heard me say it a couple of times already. I just simply cannot and will not lay double digits on the road in division. I won't like big numbers on the road in division. It's dangerous spots. If you go back and you look at a handicapping annual, right? You look at the the history of handicapping and and go look at the past five years, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, and go find spots that you could make money on. One of the big spots that you could make money on time after time, year after year, situation after situation is laying more than a touchdown, specifically double digits on the road. And then laying more than a touchdown, specifically double digits, on the road in division is just an absolute nightmare. There's no other way to look at this, guys. This is a tough spot. So while you look at the Colts and you go, okay, well, the Colts are playing red hot. Oh, man, you know what? I think they're going to bang up on Houston. And Minnesota is playing really good. And, you know, I think Minnesota is going to be the team. And Tampa Bay looks like world beaters and Tom Brady, and that's against the 31st-ranked defense. I get the intrigue. I get why everybody loves them. I understand why we all sit back and we go, oh, man, that's, that's the game that you want. But it's a big number for a reason. I think, listen, you want a money line parlay these? I'm jumping on board. You want to use them for a survivor pick? All right, no problem. Dare I say, oh, I'm biting my knuckles when I say it because I hate teasers. You want to do a teaser with them? All right, I can get behind that. But guys, consistently laying this big number, these more than a touchdown numbers, these more than a touchdown numbers on the road, against divisional opponents will send you to the poorhouse. There's just certain spots, certain spots you don't go near. If you look and you ask sports handicappers, I'm not telling you to go out there and put your faith in Atlanta and Detroit. Uh, You know, I'm not telling you. And the Texans, these are games that nobody wants. Nobody wants to take those games. I get that. And I'm not sitting back and telling you to go and get those games. I'm not convincing you on the other side. What I'm telling you is to be very careful. Be very cautious about jumping down and going, you know what? I love this game laying that many points. I love that game on the road laying that many points. It's a dangerous proposition that gets sports handicappers that are novices or experienced into a lot of trouble. So just be careful. All right. Let, uh, you know, look, guys, this is a spot, by the way, where. Normally, I, I sit down and I go, okay, I'm trying to give you a little advice. I'm trying to give you a, a little bit that you could use in the future. But this is this week, right? This is this week. So we're going to, to have a conversation about the future, but this is this week. So 
I don't want you to only remember it for this week, but use it this week. Now let's go back to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to the future. All right, guys, let's bet to the future. Let's bet to the future brings us to the updated odds for the AFC. And who's going to win the AFC? Well, the Buffalo Bills have dropped past Kansas City. Kansas City at 3-1 to one leads the way. Buffalo is plus 375. Baltimore plus 550. New England starting to come up there at 7-1. to one. Tennessee plus 750. The Chargers are 10 to 1. Indianapolis, you can still get them at 20 to 1. Cincinnati, 20 to 1. Cleveland, 20 to 1. And Pittsburgh is about 40 to 1. That is bet to the future. Well, you know, look, (laughs) people are getting real excited about certain teams, right? There there are just certain teams out there that people are getting real stoked over. I mean, can the, uh, uh, is there any way? That you sit back and you go, the 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 Patriots get any more, <laughs> any more love? Can they get any more hype right now? We'll get into that in a moment. All right, let's get into the late games. Washington against Vegas. Vegas is about a two two and a half point favorite here. Washington looked really good. Look, their game plan from Ron Rivera is exactly what I believed before the year. Before the year began, I had them and I put some money on them, which doesn't look like good money right now, but I had them and I put some money on them to win this division. I thought that they'd be better than the Cowboys. I saw some holes in the Cowboys. Uh, Look, they haven't looked good. You can blame that on Ryan Fitzpatrick, which I often do. I said, look, I wouldn't have made the deal. Uh, the, The bet had Ryan Fitzpatrick not been in the deal and part of the situation. But you look at Washington and you go, you know, they lost Chase Young, but now they're starting to get healthy. Antonio Gibson was not healthy all year, and he's starting to get healthy. When Taylor Heineke, uh, you know, comes into the game, you you don't feel great. But look, this is a kid that I think has a lot of moxie. And as soon as we heard that Ryan Fitzpatrick was out and he was not going to come back, Taylor Heineke increased his play. And I said on this show, I said, guys, I really do believe – that not having to look over your shoulder and not having somebody behind you was going to make Taylor Heineke a better player because he's somebody that came out undrafted. He came out from a small school. He wasn't highly recruited. He wasn't highly hyped. So you get give him the job, he's always going, all right, well, you know what? I know it's not my job. And then he comes in for Fitzpatrick, but the conversation was always, well, Fitzpatrick might come back and you never know and what is it going to be. That's a hard spot for him. Heineke now knows he's got the job. And what's more is that the rest of the team now knows he has the job. Antonio Gibson got a week off to kind of heal from that. I think he's playing with basically a broken leg, right? He looked really good, and he looked like the Gibson that I expected to see this year. McLaren is almost unguardable at times. Logan Thomas came back in the offense, all of a sudden looked better. But that defense, that defense that I thought was going to be fantastic, well, Chase Young is out and they're playing better. Landon Collins is still a really good player. And, you you know, you have playmakers all over the field. Now, Washington is on a short week here, which is a concern. And they have to go on the road, flying across the country on a short week. It is a problem. The defense does look good, though. And when you have Ron Rivera and you have Jack Del Rio, you have to assume that they're going to have a game plan for what I think is an inept Las Vegas Raiders offense. Now, I know what they look like against Dallas on th- on Thanksgiving, but look at the three games before that. 
They cannot run the ball. They simply can't. They're one of the worst rushing teams in the league. So they're going to have to throw the ball. Darren Waller was a little bit banged up. I don't have confidence that Vegas can consistently move the ball just by throwing it and just by hoping you get the best from throwing the ball. I'm telling you now, you know, the Raiders are a team that they could gel. And if they got a running game, not only can I see this team making the playoffs, I could see this team still winning this division. I really can. But until I see that consistency in the running game, I don't have confidence in betting this team at all. Not even as a two-point favorite, not even against Washington, not even on the short week, not even at home. All right, what about Rams, Jacksonville? This line is creeping towards two touchdowns. And people are all over the Rams. The Jaguars have played well for about five weeks now, five weeks plus. The Jaguars are 2-0 against the spread as a double-digit underdog. The Jaguars, look, they got problems. Trevor Lawrence doesn't look anything like I thought he would look. But their defense, specifically their running defense, is actually fine. And I'm not saying it's good, but it's certainly not bad. Jacksonville bad. It's actually fine. The Jaguars are hanging in there. The Rams, meanwhile, they lost three games in a row. They failed to cover each of the last five weeks. Five straight weeks. They are 0-5 against the spread. You're losing a ton of money if you're the Rams. And, you know, you're sitting back and you're going, all right, who do we have as the Rams? Well, Daryl Henderson's now banged up. All right, well, you know what? Matthew Stafford is banged up. Their defense has shown the inability to really make plays outside of Aaron Donald and outside of, uh, of Jalen Ramsey. And last week was just, that was weird. It was a weird situation because the Green Bay Packers are dealing with so many offensive line problems, and they couldn't get a pass rush. With Von Miller, with Aaron Donald, with Floyd, they could not get a pass rush. That is a weird spot right now, why the Rams couldn't get into the backfield. Now, I expect them to put a lot of pressure on Trevor Lawrence here, but the 14 is just a massive number. Matthew Stafford is hearing all the criticism. Matthew Stafford is still in his career, never beaten a team that's five games over 500. It seems like a, like a weird stat, but basically he doesn't beat good teams. Jacksonville's not a good team. Matthew Stafford should be fine here. But if Matthew Stafford is as injured as they're making him out to seem and his back is as, as tight as it is, this could be a long day for them. And this could be a spot where Jacksonville gets that backdoor cover or they hang in it just long enough. I have no confidence in this Rams team. And I've had questions about the Rams all year long. Bringing in Odell and bringing in Von Miller didn't fix those questions for me. For a lot of people, oh, man, you guys loved them. For me, it didn't fix those questions. And even the idea that Matthew Stafford was going to come in here and rescue this franchise, I didn't believe in that either. I didn't believe in that. You know, when you turn around overall and you look at all this and you go, well, the Vegas line didn't really move, right? They went from Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford, and the Vegas line didn't really move for their wins total before the year. That'll tell you something. All right, Steelers-Ravens. Uh, you almost have to say it like that, right? Steelers-Ravens. Well, Ravens are a three-point favorite. It's gone up to four in some spots against the Steelers. Steelers are a mess. Don't believe the hype that all of a sudden the Steelers are fixed. Watt comes back. Their defense still doesn't look good. Roethlisberger's still a mess out there. Najee Harris is about the only bright spot that I see. Their defense lost just too many guys. They really did. The Steelers, by the way, you know, they are only one of two teams that Lamar Jackson doesn't have a winning record against. It's hard to imagine Baltimore losing this game. But 
Over the past three games, the Ravens have averaged just 14 points per game. And the Steelers' defense, like I said, it, you know, it still has some playmakers on it. Fitzpatrick came back last week. Watt could be in there. You're starting to see the Steelers maybe find a formula. At where we stand now, if you really wanted to have that conversation about the Baltimore Ravens actually going to the Super Bowl, I'm not sure I could talk you out of it. The Ravens are a very good team. The Ravens at times look dominating. But over the last three weeks, the Ravens have looked just flat-out lost on offense. They can't run the ball effectively. That's a problem. And they have weapons. I like Bateman. I like Hollywood. I like Andrews. Jackson just can't seem to get him the ball. And it's starting to become what we've seen in the last couple of years during the playoff and the playoff runs of Baltimore. Every now and then, you start to see the Ravens get very one-dimensional. And that one dimension is just Lamar Jackson running the ball Anytime he gets in trouble. And Lamar Jackson earlier in the season was looking downfield and his eyes were downfield and he was starting to kind of become that player that was, oh, that was a dangerous passer as much as a runner. Not so much anymore. This is a spot where I don't think you can bet on Pittsburgh. But I am absolutely not confident in Baltimore. Not what I've seen in the last three weeks. Not with this offense and not with where they sit this offense. By the way, Patrick Queen left the game last week. Uh, his status has to be known before you make a bet on this game. Niners minus two and a half against Seattle. That will certainly arise. I've seen it already hit three, three and a half. I think it goes up to about five or six. The Niners should blow out Seattle by every metric, other than the fact that Russell Wilson is at home and Russell Wilson is at home in Seattle where he's dominant. But Russell Wilson isn't the same guy, is he? Right right now, Russell Wilson just doesn't look right. Russell Wilson came into last week's game with the worst third-down completion rate of any starting quarterback in the NFL. That's pathetic. And Russell Wilson is getting no help. They don't have a running back. Chris Carson's out for the year. They can't run the ball. Russell Wilson is missing wide-open receivers. There was a specific time last week where he forced the ball to Metcalf all the way down, about 45 yards down on the sideline. We're right in the middle of the field, wide open, is sitting, waving his hands, and you're going, man, you could have got a 25-yard gain instead of a 45-yard gain, but you forced it. Russell Wilson is out of sync. Russell Wilson looks like he's still hurt. Then you look at the other side of this. Seahawks have the worst pass defense in the league, 277 yards per game. And I told you last week, Jimmy Garoppolo is playing really well. Jimmy Garoppolo, I highlighted on my weekend show, want to bet, for the SGN network, and, and I highlighted what he's been doing. He, he's one of the best passers in the league over the last month or so, and all of a sudden, Jimmy Garoppolo is the guy. Can he take advantage here? Yeah, it looks like he probably can. Debo Samuel's going to miss some time, which is a big knock on the Niners, which is, again, why I'm not loving this game. And Seattle did win the first meeting this year, 28-21. San Francisco, they, they've covered four of the last five games. I think that this is a spot where it's San Francisco or nothing. I like them a lot at two and a half. I don't love them with this rising line. Again, giving points on the road in division late in the season. Just not a good spot. All right, let's go to the Sunday night game. This should be a pretty good game. Well, it could be because we don't know the status of Teddy Bridgewater. Kansas City is a nine, nine and a half point favorite, depending on where you're shopping there. Chiefs are coming off a of bye week. We know it. Andy Reid off a of bye week doesn't lose. Andy Reid off a of bye week. Andy Reid off of a bye week. Andy, I mean, I could say it a million times because it is just that true. Andy Reid off of a bye week is fantastic. But Kansas City is also four and seven against the spread of the season when they play three straight, you know, kind of bad games at home defensively. Yeah, yeah, Kansas City is in a spot where it's at home. It's on prime time. They're going up against potentially Drew Locke, 
or Teddy Bridgewater. First of all, you can't even talk about Denver without deciding who's going to be the starting quarterback. Kansas City should win this game. But this is, again, a big number. And I expect it to get uh, better later. Look, you're even with the um, addition of Teddy Bridgewater, people are going to be chasing in this game. And this is a game where you can't take Denver. You can't take Denver on the road against this Kansas City Chiefs team because you're going to be shoved down your throat all week long, Andy Reid off of a bye week. And you can't go against the numbers. It is Andy Reid off of a bye week. And Mahomes is starting to look better. And it is the Chiefs. And they are at home. And they are in prime time. I mean, all of that is right there for the, the taking. You just have to look at this game and say it is still a division game. And Gordon and Williams have both been running the ball really effectively. They really both have. So it's something that you look back and you go, you know, I'm looking at, at this game and I think it's Kansas City or nothing, but I feel much more confident Kansas City under the double digits. I do think it's going to get to double digits. Finally, the last game, big time Monday night game. This is massive. This is the biggest Monday night game of the year, uh, I think, by far. Buffalo, three-point favorite over New England. New, nobody is hotter than New England right now. Buffalo's 5-5 five and five as a favorite against the spread. They are the two best scoring defenses in the NFL. Both of these defenses, you could sit back and have the argument about being number one and two in the NFL in almost every category. Buffalo's defense had one bad game. They came back. They looked great against the Saints. But the Saints, again... Had a lot of guys missing. Buffalo gets extra time to prepare here. The weather looking to be a problem. There are snowflakes in the the future here. Maybe I'm seeing wind gusts that could get up to 18, 19 miles per hour. You start getting into that range up in Orchard Park, you have a problem. Mac Jones also goes on the road. He's going to face his biggest competition ever as a rookie quarterback. It's a loud environment. It's Monday night. It's a division foe. It's the best defense that he's faced. This is going to be tough on Mac Jones. And we all put all the applause on Mac Jones. And there are people saying not only rookie of the year, what about MVP? Mac Jones is that guy. Everyone's loving on Mac Jones. This is a tough spot for him, though. On the road, divisional opponent, tremendous defense, cold weather, maybe snow. The elements are there. Hostile environment. I, it's all there for a bad game for a rookie quarterback. So you worry about that. But over the past 15 years, Bill Belichick hardly ever worries about Buffalo. He's 25-5 and against Buffalo. And the Patriots got swept last year. But I think we all look at that Patriots team and go, that wasn't a Bill team, right? And they still almost pulled off an upset. They still only lost 24-21 last year. This is a spot where, you know, you look at a, a guy like Stevenson and Harrison, you go, we know what you want to do, but are you going to be able to have that effectiveness against the Bills? The Bills came into that Jonathan Taylor start, and I, I mentioned this, that the Bills' defense has been fantastic. They've had two bad games, Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry. As good as Harrison Stevenson are, they are not Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry, but the New England running game overall is one of the best in the league. So it wouldn't shock me if Buffalo actually had a little bit of problem here. I think it comes down to Josh Allen. I know that Bill Belichick is just saying, we are going to utilize Josh Allen. Just make sure we utilize and, and completely, I'm sorry, neutralize Josh Allen. And the Buffalo Bills are saying we need to utilize him. This is going to be strength against strength. It's going to be Bill Belichick trying to stop Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills saying our entire existence is basically on Josh Allen. And, and when you get into games like that, you sit back and you go, man, I just want to watch this one. I know it's tempting. It's going to be Monday night. It's the chase game. Everyone's going to be on this game. Everyone's got an opinion about this game. Everyone's going to have something to say about this one. 
Guys, I'm sitting back in a position and I'm going, I think this is just to sit back and kind of watch this game. If you're really asking me my opinion, I think it's just sit back and watch this one. I, I tend to think Buffalo wins at home, but it's hard to go against New England right now. All right, guys, to finish off the show, just a, a quick note about Major League Baseball. You know, this is a st- a time in the season where we are all excited. Everybody's got, you know, a, a signing coming. This is going to be awesome. My team's going to be great here. I-, I just warn everyone not to go crazy. There's still a lot of moves to be made. At the time of this recording, Carlos Correa is still out there. Trevor Story is still out there. Zach Granke is, is still out there. You have a lot of relievers. Kenley Jansen is still out there. Clayton Kershaw is still out There's a lot that can still go on. So while your instinct might be, you know what, let's rush to the window, let's go bet Max Scherzer and what he's doing, and wow, Max Scherzer is going to make the Mets so much better, that might be your instinct. It's not always great to follow your immediate instinct. You have a lot of offseason here. Let the chips fall where they may. Let the situations figure itself out. Let's kind of look at this spot. If, you, if you've missed out on the Mets already at 20 to 1, why dive in at 11 to 1? I don't think they're going to get marketably better from here on out where it's going to be massive. They're not going to 5 to 1, right? So they'll go 11 to 1. Maybe you miss out on 11 to 1 to get a 9 to 1 or a 10 to 1. That's okay. Take your time, sit back, relax, and just enjoy the offseason and how it's unfolding rather than go in and make a bet. Use this information. Don't go out there and make a just a reactionary kind of bet. All right, guys, enjoy the week. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.